When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 610 gonna recap some 2023 rankings projections the process all those kind of little things and maybe look at some overachievers and some underachievers from 2023 and give our thoughts on maybe sustainability who knows we're gonna have some fun it's kind of an open forum here to kind of just look back on things you know we can look at 2024 but we also have like four or five months to look at 2024. Sometimes it's better to see what we did wrong compared to what we did right and how we can become better players. That's kind of been the point of my last few shows. Like, let's look at the process. Let's look at how we do things, become better, and we'll go from there. So in order to help me do this is a good friend of the show. He's been on the show a few times. He's going to be on the show a few more times this offseason, of course, because he's got a big brain and he's a very smart fantasy baseball player. And he hit me up with this topic. I think it's a great one to bring to you guys. So you can find him on Twitter at BreakingBen underscore T. Ben Tid, how are we doing, my friend? Hey, Bubba. Doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, and uh, the, the big brain always gets me. It's a, if someone hasn't heard that, it's a, it's a funny story. It goes way back. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking this suggestion I had and uh, putting, turning it into a show. I, I think it should be a good episode for the listeners. Yeah, I think it will, too, because it's uh, definitely that, A, there's not a ton of content out there right now, and, B, it'll kind of let us – you know, look at a little deeper, maybe some players that did really, really well, like the Lindors of the world and some that really, really struggled. And it's kind of like, you know, what the projections say, are they far off from it? Things like that, because that is a, we'll just kind of like have an open forum here before we talk about everything, but projections are becoming more and more discussed over recent years. I think that's a very obvious thing. Like, you know, you use projections, even Curlin uses projections now. And that was a new thing for him this past year. You know, we had Toby on the last episode. Toby's he taught me about projections basically for years. Um, so many brilliant minds in the fantasy game, they get the projections, they have their, their spreadsheets. Like I think, did you create your own? Yeah, this, I have my own. Okay. So yeah, we're, we're going to use that throughout the show, but so Ben creates his own. Toby talks about how he uses the smart fantasy baseball one from Tanner Bell. And a lot of guys use that. Um, it, it, there's many ways to do it as they say. And projections are kind of the, the beginning point of that though. And that's been a thing that's been more and more, used throughout the day and you know we'll get steamers projections out here in a couple weeks probably they're usually out by first pitch arizona so that's no like first week in november so we'll get the steamer pretty soon and then we'll start overreacting to that and then we'll get like the bat and we'll get all the atc comes last and all these different things but when you um when you look at your projections we'll kind of start intertwining this now how much do you you, you well, i'll keep it simple first 
what projections do you use and like what is your rough formula without giving away all your secrets? Yeah, um, I can do that. So I, I use three of the most popular ones, I, at least in my opinion. I use ATC, uh, BadX, and I use Steamer. Um, and I just, I don't, I take a straight average. I don't do any weights for those. I uh, just try to um, do uh, this is straight, evenly average out uh, uh, projection. And um, I got that, actually, I got those three from Toby. He was the f- first one who got me into the projection um, mindset um, way back when I started listening to you guys back in like 2019. And uh, yeah, so I've been using those three last few years. I, I haven't thought about expanding. I know um, Zips has its own unique characteristics, and uh, but we'll see about incorporating some more uh, going into next season. Yeah, that's those are like the popular ones. Obviously, you know, ATC uses a combination of multiple uh, sources. The BadX uh, uses like actual Statcast information, which is nice. Steamer does Steamer things. Uh, they all, for the most part, you'll get most of them coming out to something close to each other, but there will be standouts, obviously. Uh, I know that's why Ariel uses, like, the, the gomer and makes his, like, little special sauce when he does it. Um, how much do you tweak things after you put the projections into your file? And then, like, uh, I know that's one thing with me is I'll look at the projection, and I'll, there's no way he's only taking 300 at-bats. Let's be, you know, let's, let's up things here and... You know, Phil has talked about it many times. Like, okay, use the projections for a base. Like, he's going to get 1.2, like, whatever runs per so many or whatever. There's a formula to it. And so then if you think the at-bats increase, you increase it by that number type thing. How much do you tweak those uh, those numbers? I try not to at all. Uh, okay. I actually tweeted about the one guy I did this with last year. It was uh, yeah. Lars Nubar because um, the, the projections had him for, like, a part-time player. But he uh, – I, I felt like he was going to be a full-time player. And I, I just kind of like he did – I. Like, like you were saying, I um, kind of projected it up based on the rate stats for his like homers per at bats and RBIs and runs, um, and I I don't think it turned out the best because like he battled injury, which you can, I mean sometimes you can try to predict that, but you can, you really can't predict who's going to get injured. And um, but other than that though, I just kind of leave it as it is, and then I uh, yeah, I just, they kind of keep me honest the projections when I'm drafting because um, I have my own opinions on players before I incorporate the projections into my process, so. I want to, so it's kind of like checking me as I'm drafting my players. And that's why projections can be good to an extent, right? Like you said right there is we're just human by nature, obviously. So we all have biases. Like we're going to walk into a room and I know that's something that gets me in trouble a lot and not as much as it used to, because I do kind of stay more disciplined now through doing shows like this and keeping my like focus eye on the prize. But I know when I first started out, I was definitely like, Hey, I like this player so much. I don't care what the projection says. Like this is this is one of my dudes, and I still have to an extent. I have my guys. Like you know, I was a William Contreras guy through and through, and it worked out this year. But you will that work out everywhere? No, because there'll be years you're like big on Salvi Perez, he gets hurt, whatever. Let's just a catcher example because I'm king of catchers. But we um, there's there's good parts of the projections because like you said, you just hey, here are the numbers, here are the projections. They all should be weighted out enough where the best players still, for the most part, rise to the top, and it's almost like an ADP in the end, for the most part. And so to keep your biases out of the situation. So you use those three projections. You you weight them out here and there. Then when you put your spreadsheet together, like how do you – I don't know. How do you make your rankings through that, I guess, or is it just because that's what the spreadsheet uh, – that's what the projections threw out? No, yes, yeah, so I may have. Yeah, so if I've covered this before in the past, and someone already knows this, well, I'm sorry. But for those who haven't heard this before, I, uh, I kind of have like two steps. I break it into two parts. So the first thing I'll do, um, even before the projections are out, mainly like ATC and the BetX, 
is I look at underlying metrics like um, swing strike rate for pitchers, um, hard hit percentages for batters, things like that. And I go position by position and I look at those types of stats and I make my catcher ranks, first ranks, second, third, keep going. Um, and then by the time I'm done with that, hopefully uh, the projections are out and I try to time it up. So it's all like a, one continuous flow. And then, then I dump the uh, projections into my uh, spreadsheet that I, I, I like my ranks file that I created. And I, so I know people, SGP is really popular, uh, standings gain points. Um, I use Z-scores, which are uh, similar, a um, little different uh, calculation, but I think they kind of achieve the same goal based on what I've heard with SGPs. And I uh, get like a value based on the five stats for hitters, five stats for pitchers. It ends up being a single number. And then that's how I can see how the players rank in terms of the projection. Um, so you're, you're incorporating all five stats into one number to make it, it's kind of like a war, the concept of war, because okay. war kind of wraps everything up into one number. It's the, uh, Z score, the total Z score tries to do the same thing. And then, um, so then once I have my position ranks finished, I have the projections in my spreadsheet, then it's like a zipper effect. I kind of just go down. Okay. I want Acuna to be number one, big reveal. He's my number one player next year. Um, then I, <laughs> then I look at, okay, are there any outfielders I want next? It's like, is my outfielder too? Do I want him to be my second overall player? Maybe I want to go to like, um, I don't know, Trey Turner. If I, if I'm back in on him, maybe I, I start with my shortstop now and I just go all the way down for my initial pass. And then, as the season goes up, as the winter goes on, I listen to podcasts, read, do more research, and I, I'll tweak things from there. But that's kind of how uh, I get my my overall rankings completed. I like it. Um, definitely a nice process you have there. When I'm looking at your ranking sheet right now, what do you do for pitchers? Yeah, so uh, it's a little bit – so I kind of – pitchers are unique. So I do relievers on their own. Uh, one thing with the NFBC that's kind of annoying is when I um, dump in the, the – ADP, it's, they're all P's, so I have to go in manually and separate it out just so I can – I mean, once it's done, it's done. It's nice, but it's, it's kind of annoying to do that. But um, So I do the relievers first, and then I do the starters. And I, I go like 135 deep because I, I play draft champions, so I, I need to go that deep into the pool. But even though – I was looking at um, one, my spreadsheet before we started recording, and uh, even in like a normal 15-team league, like you're rostering that many starters anyway in, in the league. Because if there's 15 teams and you have like an average of nine starter starting pitchers, that's 135 pitchers, and there's only 150 starters in a rotation typically in, in the in the league. So you're almost at the full number of pitchers being used. But um, I kind of like go off of this experience with how drafts flow, or how I think, um, or how willing I am to to jump a, a starter ahead of a hitter. So I was looking back at my rankings going into last season, and I had my two pitch two top pitchers were Garrett Cole and. Corbin Burns and I had them around like pick 20 because um, okay. I, because I was big on getting two hitters to start last year. Sometimes I did it. Sometimes I didn't, but, um, and I know like their ADP was definitely way before that, uh, especially like 15 teamers and well, all probably all leagues 12s, especially too. But um, it's just how I feel comfortable with the player pool. And then, um, but I, but those are nice because they're all in order already for me. Anyway, it's just a matter of figuring out where they fit in between the hitters. No, that makes that makes sense for sure. I just wondering on, on that scenario. So, you have your your hitters rankings projections. You have your pitter your pitchers ranking projections. Relief pitchers, all that stuff. You made your projections. Now we've heard we've heard the process. Now, how do you use this set of rankings come draft day? Yeah, so I'm one who tracks my team as I draft, which uh, it's it's a definitely 
challenging when you're not used to doing it. So, but I've been doing it for a couple of years now, so I'm kind of used to being like I'm being on my toes because you have to you're paying attention to the entire draft. You're logging every pick if you're doing that because yep. I want my player my Excel sheet to update with um, all the picks that are getting taken off the board. So I have two screens going. I have one's the draft room, and then one's my uh, rankings list. And then I just type in, okay, if it's my player, I go put a one for like my first round pick, two for my second round pick, and then everyone else is like a gen- generic like nine 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 just to get them out all out of the way. And then I have a couple of sheets. One is looking at the actual projections. So, okay, so if, say I picked first overall, I, I put a one extra Acuna, and then my one tab will have his projected runs, homers, RBI, steals, and his average. Um, but it's not a, so. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I don't have the actual averages in the in the spreadsheet that I sent you. That's um, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna we can talk about that after if you want to. But uh, yeah. So then I see Acuna's projected stats. I also have one for the Z scores. Um, just to look at both at the same time. And then I just go along and then I, I, I look at the projections and I also look at the 80th percentile even or for whatever contest I'm in. And then if I'm not in a overall contest, like a, like a satellite league or a main event qualifier, I'll just, I'll leave in the main event 80th percentile just as a target for me to uh, hit with my projections. So, um, yeah, so I'm doing, I'm updating the file as it goes along and it may sound like a lot, but once you get used to like, reacting to the picks and a minute is a good amount of time um it's not bad i mean it keeps me in, in with the draft especially if i'm picking on the turn you know because you might have to wait a few minutes maybe 10 minutes depending on how quickly people are picking but um yeah so it's i'm, I'm, I'm always doing something in between picks well that's actually a good thing at times because especially if you're on the, you're on the ends because sometimes you get distracted and they start like looking at too many players looking at too many stats or you'll I don't know, do something where you're not as locked into the draft the whole time, where at least like in the middle of the draft, it's always kind of coming to you sooner than later. Um, so there is something to that, especially in 15 teamers. Those can drag out at times. Um, real quick, just before we get too deep into this, um, let's, well, let's hit the your average thing. Why is average not a part of your uh, projection process? Well, it is. So the, so the numbers that uh, you see right now, so you so – for those who can't see this, none of you can see, this, especially that are listening. But um, so Acuna, for example, his projected, I'm calling his weighted average was 13.36. So this is what I do to get around the uh, the impact an average does based on the number of at bats a player has. So um, I've mentioned this, Bubba. I've we talked in the past about um, Josh Lloyd, who's a fancy basketball guy. He uh, mm-hmm. actually explained this to me for like free throw percentage and field goal percentage. So in basketball, you have guys who may not take a lot of foul shots free throws. And um, so they don't affect your free throw percentage that much. But if you have guys who always get to line like James Harden, he has a bigger impact. So you can't just by just having the actual average for like Acuna, Ramirez, Judge, all these guys, and then you average it up, you're not going to get a perfect average of what your team's projected average will be. So what you do is, um, let me get get my sheet up right here on my projections. Uh, Yeah, so for so what I do is I, I calculate the league average, and then for each player I take their hits, and I subtract the league average, which is multiplied by their at bats. Um, and so the more hits you get, you're going to have a higher number because it's going to outweigh the, the the subtraction from the at bats. Okay. So um, I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, what it comes down to is if someone hit 248, I was looking. So James Altman hit 248. He has a zero in his weighted average column in the spreadsheet I sent you because he is exactly league average. And if we're going off a of league average, just as a starting point, um, he will not affect your average one way or the other. All right. Um, this could be a very simple question based on their finishing numbers here. 
like why would a Freddie Freeman have his ranking compared to Ronald Acuna? Okay, so um, are you so what numbers are you looking at right now? Like Freddie okay Freeman has a thirty-one point. That's projected. Never mind. Yeah, uh, actual. They're about the same. So, yep, that makes sense. Okay, we're on the same page now. Yep, Acuna um, was yeah. fifty-seven. Freddie yeah, was like fifty-two. Made, that, I was looking at the projected. I'm like, wait a minute, but obviously projections are that Acuna hitting a lot less than Freeman. Um, so that, that makes a ton of sense now. Okay. No, I, I get it because it's even like the lame. Okay. Here's your, the caveman analysis of this from over here. It's the idea of, um, like we talk about say whip or ERA ratios. We're talking ratios. We're talking anything that like a percentage batting average ERA whip players that have more at bats, more innings pitched, so on and so forth. Whatever they do will have like a bigger impact on the the whole. Is that what we're trying to say here? In in, in theory, whereas say, um, say a guy that comes up and gets two hundred at bats instead of like five fifty to six hundred. Now, if he goes and hits, you know, a buck eighty, it's going to hurt, but it's not going to sting. And compared to a guy hit with five hundred at bats, it's a buck eighty. Uh, compared to your life, it's still going to hurt, but the effect or the overall, I guess, impact is, is going to be different based on the. Uh, the total is that, is that why you use at bats over uh, other things also to i guess at bats also shows kind of your accumulation numbers total yeah well i mean well the average is coming straight, straight out of the at bat total i mean it's just part of the calculation yeah. so i wanted to keep it apples to apples you know yeah so yeah. i think i kind of gave a rough probably not perfect but an idea of obviously if they play more if they do better much better for you if they play more and do worse much worse for you guys that don't play as much uh, the average, the weights of these uh, results differ uh, greatly because even like uh, you know Aaron Judge you know, didn't hit for a great average this year, didn't crush you, but like I'm pulling Judge up real quick here. So Judge, oh, come on, fan graph load. Judge hit. That's like the they all took the postseason off. There it is. Judge hit 267. Not bad. Last year hit 311. Um, I wish they still had projections up from this past season. That'd be fun to uh, to look at. But he hit 267. So like his weight, his weight is uh, pretty low, like a little lower than seven. Now is that due to uh, a combination of his at at bats are baked in average? But is that due to he's closer to the league average, or is that just based on you know overall production com- combined with not playing much? He's hurt so much. Uh, it's, 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 I think it's both because, so he had 450, 458 plate appearances, but he walked so many times. He only had 300, 367 at bats. And so like Acuna had double that almost. So, yeah. um, even though Acuna hit like 330, it's just, it, it's just the magnitude of his impact on your average is, is a lot smaller. And so he was like 20 points above league average, which is good, but just because he only had, he had so few at bats, it's just not help. It's not moving the needle as much as yeah. someone like, um, like looking at Josh Lowe, he had hit 292, but his is his weighted average is 20 in my, Perfect. in my, um, ca- uh, calculation. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So and I was trying to sort, yeah, I was trying to sort too by, um, the weighted average just to get an example of guys mm-hmm. that had higher averages, but they're lower. So for example, uh, um, your boy, uh, William Contreras. So he hit 291 with 540 at bats. Um, but then right below him is Altuve who, Hit three six had three three hundred sixty at bats, but he hit three eleven. So he had a higher average, um, but lower amount of play appearances. They were off by 0.3. Uh, Contreras's number is twenty two point nine. Altuve is at twenty two point six. So, in about two hundred fewer at bats, Altuve was just as valuable because of his average being twenty points higher than Contreras. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So. 
Okay, that's uh, it's a fun way to look at it because there's the the pros and the cons. Like uh, one that stands out if we talk plenty of at bats, like you have Manny Machado. He had 543 at bats. That's a pretty full season, but he hit 258. Well, you said league average was around 248 this year, so he's only 10 points above average. So he helped you, but it wasn't tremendous help based on his you know 5.1 um, actual weighted average compared to like you said other guys that um, maybe had fewer at bats but hit so much better. Just kind of blew him out of the water. So to me, it's pretty interesting. He was tied with William Abreu, who had 85, 76 at bats. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, that's that says a lot right there. Um, the grand scheme. So volume of at bats combined with production gets you the weighted average, goods and bads and uglies and all that kind of good stuff. Before we start talking some actual players here and kind of how the projection ranks to how they perform in the season compared to how they finished and and whatnot. Any other things you want to mention about using projections, making rankings, how you go about things before we kind of uh, take a glimpse at some players? No. Uh, well, there's, there's one thing I'll say. So I was just, I was skeptical of projections when I – at the time I started listening to you and Toby um, a few years ago, like I mentioned. Um, but I realized the purpose of the projection. It, it's more important when you're looking at your team than the actual player. It's like when looking at a player level, it's more about – identifying what kind of player they are and like their talent level. But when you combine all the players on your, on your fancy roster together, you should get a decent amount. Like a, a, it should line up pretty well to what the actual production is going to be assuming health and um, just like no catastrophic collapses in skills. Um, yeah. So that's all I, I, I ended up looking at my main events and the, at the projections for the guys I drafted to my starting lineups and compared to how they actually finished and the one main event was actually kind of was pretty accurate, and that's even. But the thing is, I had drafted uh, Austin Meadows. I left him in there, and even with his projections not amounting to anything actual, other guys on my team overperformed their projections, and I still kind of came close to the targets that I expected to have when I left the draft. So um, there is value in using projections if you're skeptical about them. It's just m- making sure that you're not getting your hopes up when someone doesn't meet their uh, projected totals. That's a great point because it's like there's a joke I make. I do a, a PGA DFS show, and there's models we all use for that and all these things. And I said there'd be, I, I would love for it just to not even give us a name, just have like the alphabet or a number. I'm because I want to just look at the stats. Like these are the guys that rate out well. These are their projected for this many points, so on and so forth. Because like I start, we start on the show saying we're creatures of habit, we're human beings. You'll see a certain name, like oh no, like no, I can't roster that person. I don't believe these projections at all. But, you know, if if you believe them for everybody else, you got to believe them for that player, too. You can't just, like, neglect one just because you don't like the guy. It's not how the whole system works here. So that's one thing Toby also taught me a, a lot was, like, guys like Miles Mikolas. Yeah, he didn't have a great year this year, but the year before, he was all in on him. And I'm like, why? He's like, well, look, the projection's this, and, you know, the innings here. Like, he starts going this whole thing, and I'm like uh, – so I, I started drafting him late. I'm like, okay, I'll, I got – like I said, I've – I've gotten better throughout the years of trying to put my biases. So that was like one of them. Here's an example. Let me just, okay, trust this. We're going to trust it. Worked out. Did it work out this year? No. But the point of the discussion here is you got to just trust the numbers here. Cause like you said, even like an Austin Meadows, who obviously did nothing, you're, you guys overachieved. You also have replacement value eventually on the waiver wire. Like you got to, in season management is obviously a huge, tremendous part of the overall success of your team. But uh, draft day is a large chunk as well on these projections and rankings. So, Definitely uh, get your point in the right direction. 
All right, let's talk about some guys here because what we're going to do is we're going to use Ben's you know projection sheet here and everything and ranking sheet, and then for fun, eventually we'll incorporate like where I had guys rank and see how goofy we both were because I'd use more of like I look at all the numbers on fan graphs and everywhere else, and like I've already got my 2024 catchers like tentative, like a first draft. There'll be a, like the sheet that Ben's looking at, um, gaining the edge guys all had it. I was last update like mid-March. I usually update them like every two weeks uh, on, based on news and everything. I don't use like an actual formula like Ben and others do, like their SGP sheets or whatever, Z-score sheets. But uh, we'll see kind of how close we were in, in the grand scheme of things. But uh, let's have some fun here. Like we know Acuna is just a monster because he just overachieved the world. And um, I don't know what else could really be said about him. But I want to have some fun because um, you have your rank, you have the ADP, um, and then we have like the actual results. And that's where this gets interesting for me. So a guy that many thought really, really underachieved. I just want to talk about Trey Turner for a minute because you had him at six in your rankings. His ADP was numbered uh, second overall. And he still finished the year, all things considered, 18th. Like, you know, you drafted him second. You're hoping for more. But it felt like a month or two ago people were saying this is the worst pick ever. He's not worth anything. And then, lo and behold, baseball happens, and he finishes on a hot streak. He finished 18th overall. Now, when you're looking at a guy like Trey Turner, Ben, are you still, like, cool with him as the 18th overall? Do you think it was a dud of a season? How do you – when you look at your numbers here, how does it relate to you? Yes, and there's a couple of things to point out um, before we get going. So the rank is the hitter rank, and it's based on my Z-score. So if you look at Razball or something or Rotowire, something a little more published, it might be a little different, but they should be close enough in terms of at least the hitter ranking. I just want to make everyone aware of that. Um, But, yeah, I was in – it's it's so funny because everyone was just hating on him. And like he had that ridiculous August, September, and really the only thing he didn't meet his projection in was his average. It was so I'm, I'm using my and you don't have to say what the weighted average was in my in the sheet we're looking at because everyone knows he hit like 270, I think 260 something. He probably projected more for like 290, but yeah, his he's off by four runs. He hit five more homers than he was projected for according to Steamer, ATC, and Bad X. Uh, he had two fewer RBIs only two fewer steals, which is kind of upsetting considering the, um, the new environment. And uh, yeah, so I mentioned the average, but um, I'd have, he was someone I would, so people are probably, they probably heard you say I had him six overall. And I was, I was a little down on him compared to most of the industry. I think um, this is after having him in 2022 on my main event team that did really well. I just thought that uh, his profile wasn't good enough for, um, like to go ahead of guys like uh, Julio and uh, Acuna, of course, because I know he was going first overall in some in some drafts. But um, yeah, like his I'm looking at I have a stat cast right now. He's kind of like middle of the road in his in all the stats that we look at. Uh, like his ex-woba is about 55th percentile. Uh, his ex-slugging isn't anything great. And now that as he's getting older, I think a lot of his value is going to be in that average and and the steals. And if he keeps hitting lineup on the top of the lineup, it'll be the runs as well. But um. Yeah, he he'll probably still be a first rounder for me next year. I don't um, for 12s and 15s. I, it'll be probably near the back though. But yeah, I'm not at that point to say where for sure. But I I think he still has some good value uh, for 2024. Yeah, I agree. He still got some. I know him the way too early. DC Ryan got him at the turn with Aaron Judge. Like that could be a sneaky, really awesome turn, uh, barring health issues. But um, I agree. I think the biggest thing that like disappointed so many is watching the stolen bases go up everywhere. And his didn't 
you're sitting there going, wait a minute. That wasn't what we signed up for. But, like, I've always pounded the drum that he's a power guy. Like, this was the second most homers of his career. So this might be kind of what you're going to start getting. You're going to get 25 to 30 homers, 30 to 35 steals, like you said, but hit for good average, score some runs, which still makes him a very good fantasy player uh, in the grand scheme of things. It just moves him down the draft board, which uh, will be interesting to see where that pans out. When it's he, all could, um, he could turn into Altuve because they're yeah, probably very they're very similar because they both had more steals earlier in their careers than homers, and Altuve turned into more of a power hitter. So, I mean, it's possible. Yep, that is very, very true. He was my number one shortstop in the drafts last year. That's the one thing is I don't do accumulative rankings. Maybe I should do that this year. I just do by position, so it's tough to kind of compare, I guess. But mm-hmm. he was number one for me, and I think that was pretty common most places. Yep. Now I want to talk about one that uh, can be a polarizing discussion around baseball. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, he was ninth in your ranks, 10th in ADP. That was very common throughout baseball. Finished the year 52nd ranked, though, based on the other projections and the final numbers. Um, only 26 home runs for Larito. That was not ideal. After, you know, 32 last year, 48 the year before. Five steals, still still in some bags. But hit 264. The average continues to drop. The BABIP continues to drop. Um, it, it's, it's a weird situation because he had the same barrel rate basically as last year. Pretty similar hard hit rate. Just the overall production continued to struggle with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., so what when you look at your your sheet here, what do you see with Vlad that you might think of uh, looking back on 2023 and ahead to 2024? I think it was something with the Blue Jays, honestly, because yeah, Bichette, Tripolome, yeah, that's pretty rough too. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like Bichette and Vlad, they were pretty close in ADP. They were 12, this is the main event ADP for all 53 leagues. Uh, Bichette was nine, Vlad was 12.6, so they were right middle end of the first round in the main event and. Uh, I think the so the power is disappointing. Um, the average is two for him. Like he's always he was always thought to be a big average guy, and the guys around him in terms of where they, I had him ranked in ADP, they're all their final weighted averages are all like in the twenties and thirties. His was nine point four six, so he he didn't really help you that much. And if you rostered him, you definitely know that. And the runs were bad. Like he was someone who was projected for ninety eight runs, and he only scored seventy eight. Um, yeah, I remember people saying like there was something maybe about like the the visibility with what they did in, in Toronto. I don't know if, how true that is, but looking at a stat cast, it's all red still. Um, I th- I'm trying to pull it up now. I think the only issue still is is the ground ball percentage, but even that that was it was 46 percent according to Fangraphs, which was down from 2022. So I don't know if he just got unlucky. Um, yeah, it, he's going to be interesting. When I, I remember when I was sitting on your first, your two early drafts, uh, Steve Weimer drafted him, and I was like, "Hey, Steve, Steve well, what do you expect for Vlad?" And he like, of course, he read out the exact projection he had for him already in August. I'm like, "Of course he does." Yep, yes, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's confident in him in him bouncing back. I think he was his first hitter or close to it. But um, yeah, he's someone that is going to you're probably going to have to dig to, dig into a little bit uh, in the offseason to figure out what what happened. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, I don't use zips a ton, but we got they always have their three year projections out here. Like in 2023, it had them for 34 homers and 284 average. 24 and 25, they got them for 35 home runs both years, hitting 283 and 284. Basically, they have them as the same player for three straight years, is what it comes down to. So I wonder if there's a point where we're like, hey, this is the guy we have right now. I like, guess this is who he is. And um, I, I'm not going to say like Rowdy Telez, like you got to the point, obviously disappointed this year, but. We were talking about, you know, maybe he's just a fly ball guy that's going to hit for low average and and do certain little things like that. Maybe Vlad's just going to be this guy that, you know, the O swing even went down this year from last year. His contact rates are about the same. Like you said, a lot of things are very similar. 
he just didn't have the results you were hoping for. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how it goes for him. It's, it's a guy I usually stay away from at all times. Like we know the skill sets there to prove me wrong at any moment. That's very, very simple. But at the same time, I think we might be slowly seeing what he is. And it's to me, I can find that elsewhere scenario. We'll see how right or wrong I am this year because, you know, I've been right a couple years, been wrong a year. So you never know. Vlad. I guess you stay to the state of the process, as they say. Um, I had him ranked. That's just for fun here at first base. I had him number two, but zero shares, zero shares at all. I will um, say, though, before we, before we leave Vlad, so he had an XB of 291. So he, he underperformed in his average, according to StatCast. And, but he he basically nailed his expected homers. That's one of my favorite things on the StatCast page. So he was, his expected homer total was 26.4. He had 26. So, I mean, he's crushing the ball and he's, I don't know it's still the ground ball rate's still probably keeping him down, but I don't know he's he's a unique case, I think. No, he's very, very unique. I'm with you there. Um, let's do one for the positive side of things because, like, we don't need to talk trout. I think we all know what what that is. Uh, you know, JTR was, you know, he's a catcher, things are going to fluctuate with catchers from time to time. So, do what you wish there. But let's have a fun one here is Marcus Simeon. This is a guy, you know. Uh, a couple of years ago, he just slow, slow start and still finished 26 25 with 248 average. And that was a year after just going nuts in Toronto. And people are like really, really pumped on him. And you look at your um, your preseason projection rankings and everything 23rd, ADP was 26. So our uh, ADP rank was 26. ADP was like 30, almost 40. Uh, but he finished the year 10th. And that is because he was obviously very, very good, but scored a ton of runs even 100 RBIs, power speed was there, hit for good average. Um, it seems like where I'm going with this, this is a guy that every year we're like, okay, previous season was good. Oh, there's no way he's doing it again. Like, let's let's bring him back down a little bit. Like, we'll bump him up from last year's ADP, but we're not going to bump him up where he should go, potentially, situation. So what do you see when you see Simeon? Is his ranking weighted so heavily because the 122 runs scored, or is there another factor involved there? One thing I'm looking at is his, his average. He definitely outperformed his projected average. Uh, I think he had like 276. I just looked it up on Fangraphs, and uh, he's probably projected more for like a 250 bat. So he helped a lot there. Um, but I think he he's always been a guy who's kind of uh, succeeded on volume because he, he he plays all the time. I don't he, he hasn't really been hurt. He's played in his last four. So if you exclude 2020, he's played 162. 162, 161, 162. So he's getting those runs by hitting on top of good lineups. He went from Toronto to Texas. Um, so when he was on Toronto, they were they were crushing the baseball in 2021. Uh, we know how Texas was to start the year this year. So he's just been in good situations, I think. Um, I was always kind of skeptical because I didn't know like how well he hit. Like he's not a, the best power guy. He, I mean, those 45 and 2021 20, came out of nowhere, but. Um, like he doesn't strike out a lot, so I can see why his average was so good this year, and his walk rate's pretty solid, so that helps contribute to the runs. I, so he's definitely been undervalued for me in the past couple of years, and it's shown because I haven't really drafted him too much, and uh, I might need to change that for next year. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. That that's my thing is I always kind of like ah no, I'm not gonna take him. I, I, I have, well, and the thing is like I had him ranked first at second base this past year, but I guys waited on second base because I liked the value of like a Glaber later or something like that. And that's why I think I might need to do overall rankings like one of these days because like I can read my list and it makes sense to me because it's how I flow through my draft. But um, just going over like top positions of each one, but like why would you have Simeon first and not want to take him? Well, he doesn't really flow in what I was drafting. That was kind of where it went, uh, the how I saw the board type scenario. So we'll see. But I might need to change that, like you said, because it's been a consistent uh, 
it just worries me. He, he to me, he feels like the Sandy Alcantara of hitters because you mentioned the volume part. It's like one of these years if he just happens to get hurt, what's he actually worth? And that you can say that for any hitter, obviously, any player. But he realized, like you said, Simeon relies so heavily on he needs to get like 650 plus at bats. Like it's just what he has to do. If we take that down to like 550 or even like like obviously 450, he'll kill him. But like he's taking that into 550. Like hey, say he misses two to three weeks, how much of an impact is that on the overall grand scheme of things? Yeah, maybe not much, but I'm curious to see how that would, would play out with a guy like Marcus Simeon. Let's talk about Francisco Lindor. This is one I kind of hinted at earlier. I thought it'd be a fun one to talk about because I did take him in the early um, DC we're doing. But it's a guy that's been – you've seen his name pop up on Twitter recently, and especially with the year he had, he went 30-30, 31-31 even, 254 average, you know, down from 270 last year. But scored 108 runs, drove in 98, nearly at 100 and 100. The dude's just really, really good. Um, he's literally might be getting comfortable in New York. Uh, back-to-back years where he played at least 160 games which was tremendous with Marcus Simeon. And when, when you look at – I mean, Francisco Lindor, sorry. Uh, you had him – your rank was 25th. ADP was 42. Uh, ADP rank was 27. But he finished 11th right behind Simeon. And I got to heck of a season. So what do, you, what do you see when you look at a guy like Francisco Lindor who it feels like doesn't get the appreciation he's due, but maybe that's because shortstop's so deep. I don't know. But uh, very, very good ball player. Yeah, he's someone I didn't draft a lot this year either, and I kind of kicked myself when I saw how he finished. Uh, so I brought up my 2023 rankings uh, file, and he was – so I, I I mentioned before, like, I look at, like, walk percentage, K percentage, ground ball, fly ball, O-swing contact, things like that for the hitters, and he was just kind of in the middle for everything. And he his ADP was at a point where, like, you need – you're still kind of looking for, an, like, an elite bat, and sure, he's done it in the past, but then he came off the season where he underperformed massively um, – He's getting older. Like I think the the first year contract thing kind of affected him. That's what it seems like because he bounced back really well. His Statcast page for 2023 was is, there's a good amount of red. Not, they're all, not all near the top, but they're all very consistent. So um, th- that backs up his performance. And uh, it was good to see him steal a lot again because he had always been someone I once he left uh, Cleveland where he was stealing like 30. He was more like a 15 projected. Uh, I think that's what he had for last year, right? He was yeah, 15 was his projected steal total for last year. Um, and it usually came up with like a, a, not the best average. He actually kind of hit what he was projected for. Uh, so the projection was pretty accurate about that, but, uh, yeah, the, the volume really picked up, um, like with this, with the runs, uh, like the projected at bats was 586 and he came in with 602. So it wasn't like he played a lot more like with Simeon. He just scored whenever he got on base. And, uh, that seems kind of fluky for me because his average really didn't really jump up too much to like support that gain. Um, I don't know if the projection was missing something, or maybe he walked more. I, I don't know. I have his walk rate offhand. Uh, he walked nine percent of nine point six, so he kind of he increased his walk rate from twenty twenty two. So maybe that played a role in it. Um, and he's probably still fast enough where they were like, okay, you can run. Just go with the new rules. Um, yeah. So uh, he, I don't know if I'll be in on him again. Depends. His ADP will probably be pretty high, but I don't want to like, go chasing this season. You know. Yeah, that's the thing is I don't want to chase the season, but I think you could get at least a. 25-25 guy with the we've seen the 30-30 appeal. Uh, that's kind of what we started to see in, in Cleveland at one point, and it felt like when he went to New York, it kind of you know first season in a new town, it kind of overwhelmed him a little better last year, much better this year. Obviously, a lot can change. You know, obviously could change if Pete Alonso gets traded, like they're talking about. You know, that big bat behind you that could do all kinds of damage to your run production and just overall pitches you get to see. But um, yeah, I, I like Lindor, still pretty young overall, and, and someone I'd, I'd be 
obviously I'm in on this season. Nolan Arenado. Uh, I think Ryan and I and talked about him so many times this past year and other because he showed up on Bloomboard after Bloomboard after Bloomboard of overachievers or underachievers and all this stuff. Um, in the end, still a decent season. Only hit 266, but outside of last year's 293, that was actually pretty good, 266. 26 homers, three steals. Like in the end, got pretty close to what you're still, you know, didn't get 100 RBIs, which you're used to from Arenado. In the end, still came out decent. Uh, you had him at 30, ADP was 47, ADP rank with 31. But we look at the actual rank end of season, he finished 62nd. So that's a big kind of deviation, all things considered. And he was a guy that we'd look at his, you know, I said each time a bloom board would pop up, okay, let's look at his stack cast. Let's look at his ground balls. Let's look at his swinging strike. Look at all the things about Arenado. And there wasn't a ton off throughout the season. It was just one of those, like, weird things with him. He's only 32. So looking back at Arenado, do you have any uh, thoughts on his season as a whole compared to, like, the projections? Well, he is one that I highlighted, yeah. So, so he was a win for the projections, uh, just to read it off real quick. So he was projected for 80 runs, 27 homers. 93 RBI, four steals. His actuals were 71, 26, 93, and three. So mm-hmm. the biggest deep difference was nine runs. Everything else was with, was within one. And even his projected average was when it's um, weighted it's 8.66 and it was 9.99 or 9.0. So he they were basically spot on with his projection. Um, yeah. So I had him rank kind of high, but it was it was more just because of the, the third base mindset that we had going to last year, where it was it was deep. So let's just put him up there because he's so much better than the rest of the position in theory. Um, and I, it's, it's, so you mentioned his actual rank based on the Z scores that I calculated. And so he dropped 30 spots. That just shows you how many people overperform their projections um, to push him down so much because well, the one thing I don't have is what his projected Z score rank would have been, but um, this probably would have been kind of in line with uh, where he was ranked. I'd imagine. So um, yeah, I mean, He's someone that once he left cores, I was kind of like iffy on. I didn't draft him anywhere last year. The 71 runs, that really hurts, especially for someone you're taking in the top 50. You, you really want to get at least 80 runs from that pick, I think. And um, his average isn't what it used to be. Uh, like he had 290 the one in 2022, but then went back down to like 260, which is still fine, but he's in steel. So he, he's, I mean, last year he's, he was basically like a two, two and a half category contributor, maybe three if you combine runs and average. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll be taking him next year just because I so many third basemen have emerged this year. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I kind of wasn't on him last year. He was, uh, let's even see, he was he had sixth at third base for me. I didn't really have an invested interest in him. Like you mentioned, the, the position so much deeper. And I just looking at last year's rankings, names that even below where I had him ranked last year, I'd take a lot of these guys, uh, at least, you know, based on where they'll go ADP wise and will stand out to me quite a bit. So, yeah, he's one of those I just kind of, like you said, left Coors Field, not really that in on. Kind of a, a tough one here. Now a name I want to talk about because when you look at, you know, you, you think production, when the guy hits, uh, let me just get to the right now, hit 197 this year, 197, but hit 47 homers, scored 108 runs, and dri- drove in 104, zero steals. So he didn't help you in stone bases at all. Probably crushed you in, in batting average, which based on, Looking at this, he had a minus 30.31 actual weighted average. So he crushed you in batting average. But why I wanted to bring up Kyle Schwarber was this is where projections and just looking at things kind of get interesting to me. 
you're ranked 31st. ADP was close to 61. ADP ranked 36. But even with the bad bag average, even with zero stolen bases, he graded out 39th overall. 39th, which is not far off from what the projections said he should have ranked out. So, Mr. Ben, when you see a guy like this that hits a buck 97 with zero steals, so he's a three-category contributor and pretty much crushes you in at least one, but still ranks out so well, how does that evaluation process go? Well, it tells you that ranks aren't everything because as a Kyle Schwarber manager this year, uh, his average, this is so crippling. And I know the guilds was me and him would complain all the time on Twitter about how bad, like we were, we were trying to figure out if he, if he'd hit 200 by the end of the year, like we're like, okay, he has this many months last year under 200. Can he do it again this year? It was just awful. Um, but yeah. So like, if you combine him with uh, Luis Arias you, and divided their their stats in half, you have like two okay players. So you, you needed Arias to counteract what Schwarber gave you because he gave you 108 runs, 47 homers, and 104 RBIs. Um, I thought – I was foolish to think this, but I thought he'd steal at least the same or close to it because, like, the projection had him for seven steals. Like, he's not that slow for, like, a bigger guy, and he just decided not to run at all. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the minus 30 and it shows you the impact. Like, no one – the only closest person around him was Varsho at minus 14 that we're looking at right now, and he, and he was – bad uh very uh, in terms of average this year and yeah it's just like it's such a pitfall like it's so especially like with an overall component like the main event or the oc no matter this is like your regular league like it, it drags you down so much and um yeah and i i overlooked so like i he has a he, he has like a 30 percent strikeout rate but his uh, swing strike rate it's always like 12 percent, so it doesn't really line up but something about like how patient he is where he doesn't swing sometimes and i think i'm gonna I kind of overlooked the 30% strikeout rate going into my um, prep this year. Cause as you mentioned, I was ahead of consensus on where I wanted him. Cause I saw that those, like I was right on his RBI run and, and homer production. It's just the other two categories that I didn't think he was going to collapse in. Like he did. I thought the, the shift restriction would help his batting average. Cause he kind of underperformed in 2022 compared to 2021. And he's always kind of bounced around. Like he was under one, I mean, 200, I think in the shortened season. But that was that was only at 60 games, so I was like, okay, well, it's a small sample. I mean, he did that. He hit like 115 in May this year. I know that because I, I looked at it so often that it's <laughs> it was bad. But um, yeah. So, and because of rostering him on a couple teams, I'm gonna be much more mindful of uh, uh guys with batting average risk going into next year because it it was it just tanked my batting averages on my teams where I had him. Yeah, and, and I think another thing is, like you mentioned, the the swinging strike rate's not bad, but it's the patience. He walked 17.5% of the time this year. That's the most of his career. I'm not going to count the 20% he did in two games in 2016. Since he became a regular in 2017, the next best was 15.3% in 2018. So he is being insanely patient at the plate, which uh, obviously affects, you know, I, I'm, I'll never forget the, the rule I learned in, in Little League when we were playing All-Stars. A guy would tell us, one of the coaches said, hey, we're not taking pitches today because that might be the only good pitch you see. Like if you see a pitch you like, you swing. And I get like when pitchers are in a funk or whatever, like you can take pitches. I get all that. But there's a point where Schwarber, and it's hard to tell him anything, he hit 47 home runs. So it's like, okay, he's he's doing a big chunk of what we're asking him to do. But from a fantasy standpoint, you'd wonder like if you – and, you know, we've talked about with Votto before too. Votto's power went up and he was less patient, but his batting average dipped a lot too. Is, is there a point where you can kind of change things? Maybe take the Gunnar Henderson approach. He was so patient to start the year. We saw it get a little less patience, and we saw the production change. Um, then again, this is Kyle Schwarber, so this might just be who he is from now on, and there's nothing we're going to do about it. 
and I agree. It's, it's kind of why I was kind of off of him this past year because, you know, the average, I didn't think it'd be that bad by any means. I didn't know if he'd duplicate the power, which he did. Like, he almost hit 50 again, so that was pretty darn impressive. But I'm with you. It's like, I think this is closer to who he is. Like, if he, let me ask you this. If he were to hit, say, 220, his, his XBA is 219. If he were to hit 220 with 47 home runs, would you be much more inclined to draft a guy like Kyle Schwarber? Absolutely, because he's gaining 30 points on his average, which is okay, – <laughs> it's pathetic when you put it that way. It's yeah. like, That's a big difference, um, 220. Like that's – he'd be more like Varsho, which was – I think he was like minus 14. So it's like yeah. half – it's half of the impact on your average by gaining 30, those 30 points. Yeah, so that's just – Interesting stuff, and that's where you kind of like in the offseason will be like, okay, can I talk myself into him improving enough to make it viable, blah, 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 and uh, that's where we all could get into some holes in our overall analysis. Um, I've been picking a lot of names, and I can keep doing that. Is there anybody you would like to discuss? Yeah, well, so um, I have so before I sent, sent this to you, I highlighted a few names, and um, they were the ones I saw that were uh, pretty um, accurate in terms of how the projections predicted them to perform. Uh, so you mentioned Real Muto, and Correct me if I'm wrong. The consensus was kind of like, people were kind of down on him, right, uh, throughout the year. Yeah, I feel like they were. I think they were down just because it was like, okay, he was like 2020, all these things, and I'm like, I think a lot of people, and I think people expected him to play more with Reese Hoskins getting hurt and all these things, and it didn't quite pan out that way. Right. So, uh, so I'll highlight him. So he pro- was projected for 72 runs, 19 home runs, 70 RBI, 17 steals. He finished with. 70 runs, 20 homers, 63 RBI, 16 steals. So pretty good. It was basically spot on. The only thing was his average. And he basically played the same amount of plate appearance or at bats that he's projected for. He was off by nine. So um I think so if you look at the, the projected um ADP rank, so ADP had him at the 22nd hitter overall in the main event. He finished 93rd according to the Z scores. So you have to account for the the catcher adjustment because that's why he's going so high in that first place. Um which I try to account for when I do my Z-score projections. I, I have a set of Z-scores for overall players, and I look at just projections to see how players like Romeo took get a boost. But um, I think this is still telling us that like he, he was just getting overdrafted and then he performed how the projections said. So um, if you were able to look at his projection and figure out, okay, well, it's not really fitting with the rest of the player pool where he's going, you, you would have made out because you would have missed out on um, missing out on some stats because guys in that guys in that range, they were putting up 89 runs, 90 runs, 20 more runs than he was getting. So you have to make sure that 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 um, shortfall at that pick is made up for when someone else will be drafting their catcher later in the draft. And uh, I don't know if it really worked for real Muto this year. Yeah, that's always the catcher conundrum. Like, uh, like you know, I can't, we keep referencing Toby, but Toby was on last week, and he's a big Riamuta guy. He's a big catcher guy. Um, but it's always the the conundrum, can you fill those stats you're missing later on? Sometimes you can. You can do it very well. But it, it also requires that a guy like JTR show up and do his, like, extra stuff you're hoping for. Otherwise, it's, and, and the other thing is, and I try not to talk about catchers too much because I feel like I do, but um, it's so deep now. After like the couple like that are go to go to guys, I, I, I compare it to running backs in fantasy football. There's so many more committees or like 65, 35, 60, 40 type situations at catcher that they all start to kind of fall together at a point, and you start just kind of. Okay, do I want power? Do I want a guy with a little bit of batting average? Do I want like you kind of just how does this fill my team situation? Now there are outliers, obviously, 
but that's where we're starting to get at in the world of catcher outside of the elite ones. And so that's why you kind of have to draft them early if you want to play the at-bats game. And that goes to a whole other discussion I've had with you and others about like, you know, when you when you draft, we want as many at-bats as we want and all these things. Well, there's your argument for a JTR or an early catcher. At the same time, is are those quality of bats, like you said, equal to what else you could have taken at that point in the draft? That's your your situation, or even what pitcher you could have taken in that draft. So you didn't have to take a pitcher in round two, you took a hitter, now you're taking a pitcher here. That's a whole draft strategy we can talk about later on. But that's kind of where the catcher situation, it's so tough because you can see the upside to it. Like I can see the yes argument. I can definitely see the no argument too. Like there's a, there's a ton of that out there for the catcher position. Who else would you like to talk about? You have some really interesting names in yellow, so I'll let you kind of run with this for a little bit here. Okay, yeah, this, so the next one I highlighted was Dansby Swanson. He was someone I had, I think, on five teams last year, and I didn't draft him once this year. Uh, so I had him ranked fifty as a 50th hitter. ADP in the main event had him as a 55th hitter. So I was slightly um, down, but not really a lot. I just knew that he was someone I, did, I wasn't really looking at in that range. Uh, his ADP was 97, almost 95. So his projection, so his runs were, were within one. His homers were identical to the projection. He had three fewer RBIs, um, or he had three three more RBIs. I have it backwards. Uh, he had seven fewer steals than his projected, which is kind of disappointing considering the rule changes, but his average was almost spot on. It was off by uh, not much. And, um, yeah, so this is another one for the projections, I think. They uh, they had him coming back down from, my, from what he did in 2022, which was very good. Uh, they caught the average um, that came back down. And uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's always cool seeing how exact some of these are like the other one too. Um, well, do you want to say anything about dance before I move on? No, I agree. Like the biggest disappointment is the stolen bases. I, I will say year two in Chicago, I I'll buy the dip on dance Swanson for next year. Like that was year one in Chicago. A lot of weird things happened in there. They played, they played really well. I'd be, I think inclined to take the discount on, uh, Swan, like let's just have fun here. I know this is way too early. Would you rather buy the dip on Swanson or the buy the dip that Willie Adamas is going to have? Uh, Swanson, I think he kind of he may have had the Lind- the Lindor syndrome, which is the new contract syndrome, and um, I also don't know if like uh, Wander is going to play. So no, Willie Adamas. Oh, Willie Adamas. Oh, sorry, I misheard you. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. See, I was big on Willie this year. Yeah, I know. We both we both were. That's why I wanted to ask this one because that one hit us really. I was big on the Brewers, and yeah. some of it worked. Like half of it worked, half of it did not. <laughs> yeah, and so like I highlighted, I highlighted Willie. So his runs were off by ten. His homers were off by three. RBIs are only off by two. Steals off by four. So those are all pretty close. But it was the average. So I had him and Schwarber pair on a couple of teams, and it, and it killed me. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's why it's some frustrating times this season. It was uh, it was tough to overcome Willie. I had him, like, um, I forget, on, like, four teams or something. Like, I was, where he was going, because he was going where he went in 2022, so he didn't really get a discount. And I thought his production was legit. Um, looking at Willie, so his average exit velocity kind of fell off this year. His hard hit fell off. His chase chase rate went up. His whiff rate went up. His K rate's not good. So without looking at um, Dansby, I don't know. It's going to depend on price a lot too. That's like that's a, that's a big key with all these projection lookbacks and everything. Is like seeing where they were going and what the projection said they should go. You know, that's a big key, a big part of it. But um, because I have that bias, I know I, I want to say I'm probably more tempted to draft Dansby because. I feel more confident with his average now. And like I said before, I'm going to be more mindful of average, especially early on in my drafts. So, um, yeah, I mean, well, the Cubs are good. Like their yeah. lineup might be as good, if not better than the Brewers. So 
I could see me myself being more on Dansby next year, I, I would say. Yeah, our way too early discussion here. I'm on Dansby with you on this one. But it is like I pulled up Willie's page here. You know, 24 homers. You know, he had 31 and 25 the first two years, the previous two, five steals, kind of what you think from from Willie. Best strikeout rate he's had of his career, 25.9%. Best walk rate of his career. Babbitt was like the, the lowest of his career. So, like, you start looking at it and going, okay, if the Babbitt can just get a little better, um, are we back to the 238 guy, 240, 250? It feels like it's not that far off. At the same time, you mentioned some things that are very concerning with Willie Adamas. Um, the one thing I will mention, and let me let me double check before I really speak out, just from like a DFS standpoint and rostering them a ton like you did as well, it felt like things got better. Yeah, he finished the year much better because it was like in March and April at 240, then it was 165, then it was 185 in June. July hit 222, but then in August 239, September, October 240. Now, I know 239 and 240 aren't warm and fuzzy, but where we were started, much better. You know, he had seven home runs uh, in the last two months of the year. He had 12 of his, um, you know, what, 26 home runs in the second half of the season or so. So the power is kind of intermittent, but the average did improve as the season went on. So, um, yeah, I don't know if we want to make this a daily or a Willie Adamas podcast, but this is kind of the point of this, these conversations, just dig into these guys and kind of see – like where the protections are right and wrong, what you know, little little things like that. But we'll we'll talk more about him probably later on. Um, let's see, who else would you like to to speak on here? Because I I love a lot of these names. Like I'll pick one here just for fun because I'm curious your thoughts on him because I stared at him a lot in this early DC and I did not end up taking him. Is Andrew Vaughn? I know it's not a, a very popular name to to many, but he's a boring player to many. But you have him highlighted because the projections are actually pretty darn close, like really close. All things said and done, so. When you look at what the projection said, what happened, what are your thoughts on Andrew Vaughn this season? I think he's a good player for a 15-team league. I wouldn't want him in a 12 because he doesn't really have that upside. Uh, he had a boring projection. He had a boring stat line. And like you said, it was big, it was really spot on. The The biggest deviation was six RBIs. He had uh, six more than he was projected for. He, his homers were identical. He was off by two runs. And they had him for one steal. He couldn't even do that. And uh, yeah. He didn't. He, his his average was projected to be a little bit higher. Or, um, so, but it wasn't off by a lot. And uh, yeah, he was someone I, I didn't want at all. It's hurts to say this, but I should have taken him over Rowdy because I liked Rowdy a lot more, and they were kind of going in the same area. Um, for my my first base strategy last year or this year, I ended up being draft Christian Walker or Rowdy Telez, and I was half. I was right half the time, uh, and uh, I, I didn't really look at Vaughn at all. I, Nothing about him really impressed me, especially for first base. Uh, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, he finishes the 104th hitter, according to the Z-score calc I ran. And uh, based on where he was going, that's not that big of a loss. Uh, he kind of did what you were hoping for if you, if you took him. And um, I don't know if I'll expect him to outperform. or I mean, he could always grow from what he did this year. He's he's not that old yet. I think he's, like, in his mid-20s, so he could. Yeah, he's young. But the, the, if he stays in Chicago, which I don't see why they would move him, I haven't heard anything about that. But, like, the environment could be bad for run scoring there, if depending on what happens. Um, they were a mess this year. And, uh, yeah, he's like a – like I said, he's good for a 15-team league. But um, for anyone like 12 or 10, I, I would look for someone with higher upside at that at that point in the draft. Yeah, I like the point. 15's attractive. That's why in the D.C. I was like, hey, this might not sneak. It's got, like, first-base outfit eligibility at times. Like, that's – it's interesting. But in a 12, there's no chance. And it's it's – uh, so frustrating looking at this. I had like Vinny P sixth. We know he got hurt. I had Rowdy seventh. I had Christian Walker eight. Like you said, he had that Telez Walker debate and how that man, I had Vinny P, Rowdy, Christian Walker eight, 
Jose Abreu nine, Anthony Rizzo ten. That's a rough go right there for me. Um, we look at the back on rankings there. Christian Walker from six through ten is the only guy that really showed up in that mix. Like Bell would have been better. Man, that's a first base actually was either get a guy early or almost wait till the end. Looking at oh wow, you were you were low on low, no pun intended. Yeah, no, I was very low on low. I like that. that was a good dad joke right there. Um, <laughs> there. That was very low on low. I think I just expected him to regress from the outstanding season he had. And he was good, but he, I don't think he didn't meet the 2022 expectations, I guess. But um, let's talk about this next guy you had uh, highlighted here. I'm assuming that's who you wanted to talk about. And I think it's the fun one because this is a player that I always struggle to trust. Let's just put it that way. So what do you got on Brian Reynolds? Yeah, he was someone – he's a favorite of mine this year, and um, he, he basically produced what the projections had him for. So he was off by one run, one RBI – no, I read that wrong. One run, one home run, two RBI. He had four more steals than projected, and his average was a little bit lower than projected. Um, so he was – so he had like that 300 average a couple of years. So I always thought he'd be like a 290 guy, 280 guy, just based on how like his swing looks and everything. I think he's more like a 260 guy because that's what he kind of what he hit this year. So I, ha- I have to adjust for that, I think, going forward. But um, where he was going pick around pick 100. I had him above, ahead of ADP. I think I had him like in the 80s on my sheet overall. It's not shown here. But um, yeah, so I got him in a, in a few spots. And uh, yeah, he, so those actual totals were 85 runs, 24 homers, 84 RBI, 12 steals. So that was that's what I wanted around pick 100 from um, the uh, from a hitter. And I. I remember when you and Brian, uh, yeah, Brian, combine your names. You and Ryan highlighted him on that one, uh, Bubba in the Bloom way back in the summer um, when he was underperforming his barrel rate. And uh, so, like, he ended up getting his homer total back to where we were hoping for. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I imagine he's probably going to go in the same range next year. And even on the Pirates, when he's hitting in the top of the lineup, like, they weren't awful because they had guys who kind of over, like, not over overperform, but they had guys step up like Sawinski and, uh, um, guys like that. So I, I think I'd be in on him again next year and hopefully people overlook what he did and uh, they still value him. Like I did, like I, I do. And even in 12s, I think he's a great pick. He's safe. He gets close to 90 and 90, which is what you want. That's always something I'm looking for with my early hitters. So I think he, uh, he did, he had a good season. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously this is a way too early draft, but he went uh 6.2 in a 15 teamer. So yeah, pretty close. So actually, that. yeah, he moved up from ADP. It sounds like. Yeah, and we'll see how that keeps going. Obviously, is this ADP is wacky because we started so early. Like that was one of the first seven rounds we did, and um, yeah, it's it's interesting to look at. But I'm with you on Ryan Reynolds, and I think one of the biggest things I, I, I like that you said there was this might be just who he is, and I agree because like when you put up back to back seasons of nearly the same batting average, similar power, like all your production numbers are pretty darn close. Even your strikeout rates, your walk rates. Your BABIP's almost identical. I feel like all of these metrics that we like to look at were pretty darn close. You know, you're on a bad team, so runs and RBIs are always going to fluctuate. That's just the, the grand scheme of things in Pittsburgh. Um, I think that's a very interesting point where, like, I think at last year people were either in or out on him based on, hey, he's going to be this, you know, next great thing because look what he did in 2021 um, in, like, the batting average and runs and RBIs. And then he dropped off so much. Now he's a value. Well, he was a value, but this might be who he is, which I agree on. Uh, the, the quality quant- contact metrics were at the best of his career. So that was fun to see. So maybe there is a little bit more to the liking there. But, yeah, I, I think I need to become more of a, hey, he's solid, um, kind of boring, but solid that I should get. Now, 
I guess maybe another reason is, and we'll kind of use the Andrew Vaughn example. He feels more Reynolds feels more of a 15 versus 12 team guy to me. Am, am I too out of line on that? Probably. Cause I don't think he has the upside that you'd, you'd want in a, in a 12 team league. I did take him in my Yahoo 12. Cause I liked him so much. I thought he could go like 30, 10, 30, 15. Mm-hmm. He didn't quite reach that, but um, yeah, I definitely would prefer him more in a 15 than a 12. Yeah. Cause if he is this 25 to 15 guy that we're thinking of here, you can find some of that later, it feels right. like. So that's kind of a – but in a 15, that's awesome. That's great. You can play every day, and that's awesome. And at 12, that's why I was kind of curious the more I, we, we discussed that for a second there. All right. See, who else see you who I have out right, right now? Ooh, this is a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts on Jordan Walker. Can you tell us? I think people overdrafted him, and uh, that's what this is saying. <laughs> in a big way, yeah. Yeah, so uh, – Projections. So here's here are the deltas. He, it was off by five runs, uh, four home runs, four RBI, three steals, and the average was that he actually outperformed his expected average or his projected average. So he helped you there. Uh, those totals were 56 projected runs, 12 home runs, 55 RBI, 10 steals, and he basically returned that in almost the same amount of plate appearances. So those top 100 Jordan Walkers, those were a little. Uh, they're putting like the horse or the cart before the horse on that one, I think, and. Um, I didn't, I didn't roster him because of that. Like, I, I don't know if I said this before, but I'm always hesitant to draft rookies, uh, especially hitters, not so much pitchers, but because um, I think the adjustment from AAA pitching to MLB pitching is, is it's hard to get any idea how someone's going to perform when they make that jump. And uh, not that, that's not even mentioning the fiasco with the playing time in, in St. Louis this year. So, uh, yeah, so this is another win for the projection, I thought. I'm really curious to see because, well, two things. Yes, the hype train is undefeated, it feels like, more often than not. But I will say I'm really curious to see what the projections say this year based on, you know, seeing the overall, I guess, production towards the end of the season with uh, with Walker. He started to play regularly towards the end. You know, he went out of the minors for crying out loud. But his, his August and then September and October were very, very strong, like very, very good. So I'm curious to see how that kind of pans out going forward with him. But I'm with you. Like, he was very, very overhyped. I think I took him in, like, Tower Wars just for fun. And that was even before the hype train got crazy, crazy. That was a late February draft. So that was before all hell broke loose with Jordan Walker. Um, I am curious, though, because he started to play regularly towards the end. Uh, He started to actually produce, but definitely did not meet up to the standards, as you mentioned, with the – the overall projections this year was definitely one to uh, not write home to mom and dad about. That's for sure. All right. Is, is there anyone else you want to discuss here? Um, or do you want to tackle an amazing listener question from one book of calm? All right. So one thing I want to look, okay. So, so when we talk about Walker, my first thought was, okay, now what happened with Volpe? Uh, so he's not on the file for some reason, but I, I have it pulled up on, on my end. So I'll read off what his projection was. So he was projected for 41 runs, 10 homers, 37 RBI, 14 steals, and 319 at-bats. All right, so let me see what his actual was. He was 21-24. Yeah, so if you, if you double that, he's kind of where you would expect. All right, so he had 600 or 541 at-bats. So not quite double, maybe like uh, – 1.6 if you want to guess so he had 21 home runs 62 runs 60 rbi and he had what he went 2020 he had 24 steals so only hit 209 
Yeah, so his, his um, expected weighted average was under zero, so he was going to hurt based on – I think – oh, this is also one thing I wanted to say too. So um, the projected average uh, last year was 248. The actual MLB average was 248. So that's, impre- that's impressive. That's actually insane. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, I wanted to look that up before when I was prepping for this, and I'm like, wow, that's that's awesome how they nailed it like that. And, wow. Uh, and it, and that was an increase from 243 last year, so they didn't just like copy and paste. It, it actually adjusted uh, correctly. That's insane. Um, yeah, so Volpe was sub 248. They had him for under 248, and he came in even lower than that. But yeah, so they were pretty on with him, I think, too. Like if you. I'm not going to do it now on the show, but if I were to um, prorate his projection up to his actual at-bats, I'm sure it wouldn't be off by too much. No, that's interesting. Yeah, so Volpe will be another guy. You know, um, power speeds there, average is horrible. Playing time shouldn't be an issue still because they they stuck with him all this year. Like, what, It makes you like, why would they not do it next year? You're the Yankees guy. I haven't heard any rumblings about too much. Like, it's his position, it feels like, at least for another year or so until things really change in New York. So, He'll be an interesting one come draft day because he will fall, and that'll be a com- he'll he'll definitely go lower than he did this last year. I'll slide, I, I'm pretty confident in feeling about that. Could be wrong, but uh, yeah, the young players, it's going to be even wilder this year. I like, guess is going to be a great podcast to do next October to think about like all these rookies that got called up and then where they're getting drafted this year because they're going to go a good chunk of them. Just like we spent too much money in Fab, we're going to spend a high too high of a draft price on many of them. That's just the grand scheme of things. That'll be a fun one to kind of look at and say, kind of get a better gauge maybe for the future on how to attack these younger players. But before we head to listener questions, any final thoughts on going through the rankings and looking back on things and seeing that projections are pretty darn good overall? Yeah, I I, I went on a limb like, hey, I want to see how the projections did. And I thought it was interesting enough to turn into a show, and I'm glad you thought so because I thought it was really good to go through some of these guys and uh, it, you get some wins, you get some losses with what you thought going into last year. And I, I don't think people do. I, it seems like everyone always wants to jump ahead of 2024, like looking at your draft. Like we weren't even done with this year, which I loved like the whole concept of it. Cause I, I was even there when you guys were drafting, like I wanted to see what was going on, but I don't think we do enough look back on what happened in March and February, because this is all stuff we were looking at in March. If you looked at projections or if you looked at underlying statistics and I just wanted to go back and be like, okay, so, well, personally, for me, what did I do wrong? Because I didn't have a good a, a year I was expecting to have in the main event, and I wanted to see. I really want to like see what went wrong, and this is part of what I want to look at. And so I think it's a, uh, it's there's plenty of time to look at 2024. So it's yeah. not turn the page yet. Yeah, no, I'm with you. That's why I, I I literally could do more hours on this or multiple shows because I'm just curious, like looking at different players that underachieved, overachieved. Did they really? Is it just my mind, or did the projections say so? So many things like that because it, it's like. In my mind, Dansby Swanson underachieved a lot to me just because of what my expectations were. But you look at the projections, outside of steals, for the most part, he was close. Like, he's pretty darn close. And that's something that's interesting to look at because it goes back to the very beginning of the show here. It's like you use projections because you trust the projections. This is why we trust the projections, people, going back and looking at them. The fact that they were able to predict the 248 average, like, I would have been impressed if they predicted, like, 244 and it was 248. Or even if they did 248, like, within a – a full point I would have given them, like especially with the new atmosphere with the no shift and everything, I would have given them a lot of leeway. To hit the number on the dot, pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty impressive stuff there. But, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to keep seeing that as they come out and uh, where things go from there. 
we do have a couple of listener questions that came into us yesterday. Again, we had to push the show back, but uh, we got a couple of them for you here. Um, there we go. My phone is it's time for an upgrade. It was what it is, folks. Um, all right. Little Book of Calm. He says, injuries throw off projection systems and therefore player evaluation um, for two very different reasons. Number one, total volumes of any pitches or plate appearances to Grom is projected for 108, 108 more innings pitched than he actually pitched. Or number two, dealing with players who dealt with injuries. You know, Jonah Heim, previous post-injuries, OPS was 816 compared to 601. Full season was 755. So Little Book of Com's question what are other factors that you believe can also throw off projection systems? To be clear, I'm not saying if we knew DeGrom would only throw 30 innings pitch, he'd have been drafted later. I'm suggesting that if DeGrom was projected for 38 innings pitch, not 138, his ADP would have been lower. Projections drive ADP so much that sources of error are important to understand. That's a great point. Is we A lot of us will use projections to kind of gain right? that. So your system factors in ADP based on projections. Like that's, that's part of the way this works because we – if guys are projected better, we want to draft them earlier. That's a, a great point. So, again, long way of saying it. What Little Book of Cons asking is what other factors uh, do you believe can also throw off projection systems? Want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. All right. So, yeah, so I jotted down a few things. Um, he focused on the negatives, which I think is which is fine. I also wanted to touch on the positive aspect of it as well. So to add on to the negative side of uh, um, injuries and the when you look at projections, so age – um, is one. So I'm not sure if or how projections apply aging curves um, when they That's a great when point. they look back because you know you get up to like 30, then you start going down. Um, yep. And some some like that that peak, it'll move out for some players, and it, it moves up for some players. So I don't know if they apply um, a curve or not. Uh, some might be smart enough, or some might be trying to do that now. But I think that age is a big, a big key. Um, mechanical issues, like if someone gets a hitch in their swing, or if a pitcher loses a grip on a fastball or a, a, a breaking ball, um, that could be that's unforeseen by the projections. They don't know what the human's going to do. Um, and the third one that could affect projections uh, negatively, their, their accuracy, is, I thought was uh, managers and their usage. So St. Louis Cardinals, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right here, so I, I, I highlighted a positive and negative. And I, I had him highlighted this first guy on the spreadsheet, but we didn't cover him because uh, Toby talked about him, I think, at least. And it was, he was on Twitter the other day. Sean Murphy. Yeah. His projection was spot on, but it's because he, he stopped playing in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> if, if he continued playing and Darno stayed healthy, uh, didn't come back from his injury, he probably would have outperformed his projection. Yeah. But um, with everything that happened, he he uh, started out not playing full-time. Darno got hurt. He got full-time plate appearances. Because he was like he was by far the best catching option. He built up all these stats, and then when Darno came back, he went back into platoon. He got hurt. He had he got hit in the head. He had a hamstring, and then it just ended up being spot on. But if if uh, if Darno never came back, so it's not really a manager thing at that point, but it's like another player's impact on another player um, that could change it too. I think, especially in Murphy's case, because he probably would have hit thirty homers otherwise, and he'd probably have like ten more RBIs if if Darno didn't come back. Um, and the other one is Josh Lowe, like, cause he was a platoon bat and then they started playing him all the time. So it, that was more injury driven as well, but not his injury. So I think those are the negatives. If you and I'll wait to go to the positives, if you want to, uh, uh I, I think the, on. the managerial one is tremendous because even the Josh Lowe scenario is once they got healthy, they kept playing him all of a sudden, 
even against lefties because they're like, oh wait, this kid's actually pretty good. Like, I kept sitting him and he kept doing well. Yep, it was exactly. great. I, I, I didn't want I didn't want to say that part of it, but yeah, uh, I've been vocal about that on Twitter too. It, Josh Lowe and Sean Murphy, oh man. Well, because it was one of those where it's like the Rays are like, oh, this is what we do. We platoon. Like, there's no getting out of this. And it's like, oh, wait, we can't platoon because everyone's hurt. Wait, he's actually pretty good. Maybe we should plant. Like, it's, yeah. like it, it sucks that that's how it has to come to be. But um, the, the manager, the platoon situations, the um, just usage in general, like you'll see, you know, some managers will use pitchers deeper in the games. Some will use a standard closer, um, th- things like that pitching-wise. Uh, the Jordan Walker example with the Cardinals is like the whole Cardinals team was ridiculous, but just the manager like batting order changes can 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 vary your your total stuff. Uh, I know something we talk about a lot in the preseason analysis, and we will this year once you know. Sadly, some managers are going to get fired, some are going to get hired. You know, all of a sudden, you know, a team might run a lot, and they get this new manager. We know this manager doesn't run; they just don't run. Like so, that's going to change things. The projection is probably not going to see that a ton unless someone manually goes in there and alters that. So I'm with you there. The other one, um, it, it goes in line with the, the first one you, you mentioned there is um, the age. 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 I think age is tremendous because it goes on both sides. When you get older, obviously, production usually slows down. But also projections don't like young kids very much. It takes a while for the projection systems to uh, like accept this is their talent level. Um, and young players also, as they get older, they can take a jump out of nowhere. Like the year Vladdy went nuts. But then he's also regressed since then. Um, you know, LED of the Cruz, t- horrible swinging strike, strikes out a ton. I think we also agree he's probably better than he finished the year. He's just young, has to figure things out. We'll see what the projections say along those lines. Um, a lot of young players, when they have like that big breakout season, projections aren't going to account for that, obviously. And so those are some things to to keep in mind as well. Now, are you going to play Nostradamus and try to predict that, or are you going to trust the projections? That's up to you. But um, that, that's where those kind of things come into play. If the age one is, is, a, is a big one because you never know when it's going to hit. You know it's going to because Mother Nature is undefeated. But our father time, I guess. Father time is undefeated. But um, that is a very good one because most projection systems just use like, you know, three-year averages and some other things or whatever. So that will make it very tricky. I'm with you there. Yeah, and then on the positive side. So I so you mentioned the aging up. So with the, with the young players, uh, experience goes hand-in-hand with that. That's just, and I'm talking about how they players will outperform their projections. Um, but looking at Car- Corbin Carroll and Bobby Witt, um, they they were projected for good. At least Witt was projected for good stats, but he just took a, a step beyond what they were expecting him to do, and uh, he outperformed. Um, these are these are obvious, but I just wanted to mention them. So like new pitches for pitchers, swing adjustments for hitters. Um, that those things aren't going to get captured if they happen in the off season, or they might not even get captured if they happen in season. Like. I, they may not pick up on that small time frame, depending on when, the, when those adjustments happen. Um, this, the other one is kind of interesting too. This is kind of me from talking from experience, and this is breaking out of platoons. And I highlighted TJ Friedel yeah. because he was his projections were pretty low. He was like a part-time player, but he ended up batting against lefties and righties for the most of the most of the season. So he outperformed because of that extra playing time. Um, that kind of goes with the man, manager's usage, but in a positive way. And then. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on the most obvious one. And this category is playing hurt or recovering from injury in the previous season. And I highlighted Acuna. Yep. So his, so he destroyed his projection and you can look at every category, but one thing I wanted to highlight was the Homer. So he was projected for, um, let me pull it back up. He, I think it was, uh, I got it right up here. It was, it was 29. He had 41. Uh, he hadn't hit 40 since what was the year? Uh, 2019. So 2020 was shortened season. 
2021, he only played half a season, but he had 24 homers. And then he, and that was when he got hurt. And then he came back last year and only had 15. So he had three years of under 30 homers, regardless of season length. And the projection adjusted for that probably incorrectly because he ended up going back up to 41 homers this year. And uh, I think his, his recovery last year from the ACL dragged down that homer projection. And um, like they were right on the runs because he, he, they had him for over 100 runs. And that's rare for a projection system to have someone for over 100 runs. Uh, the steals were still very good, 39, but the, the rules gave him a boost. And then the RBIs kind of go hand in hand with the home runs. So if there's someone who was hurt potentially going forward, I don't know. I can't think of anyone really this year, but who's recovering from a major injury, at least hitter wise, the projection, and he has a sort of a down year, the, he could be a good buy because the projection might be expecting that to be like a skill change or decline when they just weren't healthy fully. Fernando Tatis Jr. I think he's a great buy for next year. And I that, that, that's, the first one, that's the first one that comes to mind based off. You're like thinking the Acuna model, like Tatis was good, but you know, he had the shoulder surgery and all that stuff. This get, next year could quote unquote be the year for that uh, resurgence to, to form. Tatis was also highlighted too. <laughs> he was pretty close. It was pretty close to, I thought it was interesting how close they were. Yeah, that's, he'd be one, I guess it'd be fun to look back at, uh, especially pitchers too, like, two years removed from ACL because they always, I mean, um, UCL, the Tommy John, because they always mm-hmm. talk about it takes at least a year or so to kind of get fooled back. So when you look at the projections and go, wait, this guy could take the jump. Uh, it's just hard because then you're starting to, again, you're taking your your uh, feelings out of the projections type, type thing. And it goes kind of, you know, back and forth. I guess the biggest thing that that I look at is I love the, the point you made about the platoons because like, we both are TJ Friedel dudes. And going into the season, you know, Friedel was the discount. Fraley was supposed to be the dude. But in the season, that flip-flopped in a big way. Like, Fraley would sit a lot. He wouldn't hit as high in the order. Or he'd, he'd clean up once in a while. But Friedel was there every single day, top of the order versus righties, middle to back of the order versus lefties. But he was there every single day. So there's a lot to be garnered from that. Like, we talk about, like, Matt Chapman's the, the great example of going to play no matter what because of his glove. Maybe Friedel's that guy. Maybe we need to pay more attention to that. Like Kevin Kiermaier always does. Now, Kevin Kiermaier sucks when it comes to fantasy. He's not an offensive talent, but that might be something worth looking at with these teams that like to platoon so much. At least go find the the, the defensive players on these teams that the, the manager is going to want to cling to in, in those scenarios. But it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to the first projections because I always like to – well, we all like to overreact to them, but they'll be here before you know it. And uh, you'll start breaking things down and – and getting ready for all the fun stuff. I, I just, I always like to look at, you know, it's fun to say, oh, who's projected for the most homers and this and that. I like to look at, you know, the, I guess, projected plate appearances because that's just one of those where you can have an impact on the project. You can still use a projection, like we said, but you can impact it in a different way, but a lot of time for that. So any other thoughts on this uh, little exercise we did here? Because uh, I think it's a lot of fun to see, how how solid the projections can be, but also where guys can over and underachieve, and where we surprised, where we not surprised, basically. Right. I, I thought it went well. I was hoping it was going to be valuable, and hopefully the listeners thought so too. But I definitely uh, enjoyed going through with some of these players that you highlighted. I highlighted, and uh, yeah, it's if you if you're not a projection person, I I would consider I would strongly consider changing that going into 2024. At least look at them, and you don't have to do what I do and draft your and track your team when you draft, but at least. Uh, look to see who they have for certain stats and you might be surprised compared to what you have for your opinion towards a certain player. So, yeah. Yeah. And I've mentioned it before this, this year is going to be fun because it's a, a set of projections where we actually have 
a full season of maybe the same rules and balls and everything next year. We have not had that in a long time. So that'll be fun to kind of maybe have a, you know, we know what the shift, we know what the stolen bases, we know like these things, as long as they don't mess with the ball, which is always a, a million dollar question, we should get something similar in line here, which is going to be very, very fun to see when the projections hit as well. So we'll see, see what happens. But uh, we'll do some more fun stuff for you this off season. Ben will be back, of course. We'll talk some more. Uh, but until next time, make sure you check out Ben on Twitter at BreakingBen underscore T. I'm on Twitter at BDMTrick. And this was Bench with Bubba, episode 610. Catch you all next time. to 25 times your money this football season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics and place your entry it's as easy as that if you have the skills you can turn ten dollars into 250 dollars with just a few taps easy gameplay quick withdrawals and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app ready to test your skills join the prize picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up right now prize picks will match your first deposit up to 100 just visit prizepicks.com get 100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.